the past. It used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Getting on my leader right up to the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. My name's Mark Isles and I'm the Chief Football Writer of the Bolton News. This is the Bolton Wanderers show that defies inflation. What's 10.1% of absolutely nothing? Nothing! And on the show this week, Connor Bradley shushes Morecambe. Are you in love yet? Port Vale officials reach a new low. Should we hold a grudge? The Villa Cup game is on the horizon. Do we sense an upset? And players booting the ball completely out of the stadium. Yes, we're going to delve into the subjects that really matter. But first, but first, but first, this week we are kicking off a new subscription offer in the Bolton News. We're back to £2 for your first two months. Spoiler alert, we're getting to the 25th anniversary of the Reebok Stadium territory. So there's going to be lots and lots of stuff coming up for those who subscribe to the paper. And of course, by doing so, you're helping to fund local journalism. A big, big thank you to everybody who has done that so far. I hope you're enjoying it, by the way. Go to theboltonnews.co.uk backslash subscribe. Get that done. And now, time to introduce a man who avoids parking charges at the Uniball by getting a lift in Les Ferdinand's helicopter. It's Henry Hewitt. Henry, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's very roomy, his uh, helicopter, but he's got to rush back to QPR, so uh, I end up having to get to the stadium at 10 o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> hey, there's lots of stuff to do around Middlebrook. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, do you remember, it may have been just before your time, but I'm sure I, I recall somebody parachuting into Burnham Park for an FA Cup game. I think it, I can't remember which one it was. It might be one of the white hot ones, to be honest. But I just remember seeing somebody parachute into Burnham Park before kickoff. I, I, I seem to remember he landed in the stands as well. <laughs> yeah, that is before my time. But hey, the 90s was a crazy time, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might not have been a parachute. It might just be one of the shirts. They were that baggy at the time. It could, could very easily be. We'll talk about kits in a bit. I'm pretty sure of that. But uh, yeah, let's get excited. Let's get excited. Bolton the fourth in the table as we sit here right now, still undefeated as well. I mean, we talk about HMS, but it's looking good. No matter no matter how semi seriously you take it, it's looking good. I know. I, don't, I just don't see when we're going to lose, Mark. Ever? I really don't. Yeah, no, we're never going to lose ever again. Um, yeah, it's good. We've, uh, you know what? I mean, you on paper you look at Port Vale and Markham and think, well, you want six points from that if you're going to get, you know, if you're going to be in the promotion race. I'd have took four and two clean sheets before, and pro, you know, to mm. be honest. So, mm. um, yeah, all good. We've got some tough games coming up though, so this is a real challenge now. Yeah, it is. But the thing is, I think. The, the reservations people had or the, you know, the moans that came in was maybe slightly porous at the back, maybe, you know, always been out to score goals, always been out to create chances, but can you keep them out of the back? Can you avoid those little lapses of concentration? And that's been what what has impressed me so far about Bolton so far. I mean, Ipswich, they were great uh, and resolute away from home. Port Vale were 10 men. We will talk talk about it a, a, in a couple of seconds a, a bit more length. But, I mean, they were they were fantastic. It's been the defensive side that's been impressive. Yeah, you've, like, bear in mind, last season, we conceded six in our first two games. To be on uh, one conceded mm. after four is yeah, it's very good. And I think that, for me, that was... I mean, we, we scored goals last season and um you know we 73 points in a normal season would have had us a lot closer to the playoffs than it did last year so if you think that hopefully the the league will become a bit more like it normally is 73 mm. points will get you a lot closer to the playoffs and if we can like so we've got that in our locker anyway and then if we can start keeping more clean sheets and keeping it tighter at the back that's going to push us into there so it's a good start i'll tell you one one person who did sign up for me though um, in, in midweek against Morecambe. Will Ameson, obviously, Ricardo Santos got sent off. We'll cover the reasons why uh, in, in a couple of moments. But Will Ameson came in, um, and he's, he's not always been everybody's cup of tea, let's be brutally honest. And, no. and he's, he's had a couple of games where he thought, well, maybe maybe be the slightly weak link. But he came in at the end of last season, did extremely well, I thought. And, and on Tuesday night, came in, was absolutely superb. Best game, I think, in a Bolton shirt. 
Yeah, and it's it's good to know. I mean, we we knew it anyway at the end of last season because we went actually unbeaten um, without Santos. But uh, the fact that if Santos isn't available, you know, Ameson's come in now for what a, a game and a half, and we've not conceded a goal. So uh, it is good to see we've got options there. Owen Toll, um, you know, I'm looking forward to to seeing how he does over the course of his season when he starts to play more games. So, um, so yes, yeah, I, I think, you know, I had to watch it on iFollow the other night and uh, against Markham and I thought, yeah, he did very well because they were, as we'll discuss, they were, you know, a l- there were a lot of balls coming to him in the air and I've, I think he dealt with them quite well. <laughs> we'll start with Morecambe then, we'll start with Morecambe. We knew what was going to we, we Morecambe aren't going to change their ways for anybody, especially whilst Derek Adams is patrolling the touchline. Um, direct team... They, they like to, to get the ball in the box. They do ask a lot of questions. And we knew they were going to sit and wait for their chance and, and camp out on the edge of their box. They call it a low block nowadays. You know, I just say parking the bus. They park yeah. the bus every single game. Um, I, I, I thought, and to give them credit, and I don't give Morgan too much credit, but they, they did. They were organised. They defended very, very well. They frustrated Bolton for a long time, but that first goal was crucial, wasn't it? It was, and I think... You know, sometimes, yeah, right, Markham's style of play is not the most attractive. Would I like to watch that every week? No, I wouldn't. And it did seem that, weirdly, until the 85th minute, their goalkeeper was happy giving the ball back to Trafford and letting us start an attack again. <laughs> um, but, five minutes to, you know, they kept it tight. They kept it at 1-0. With five minutes to go, it suddenly started getting nervy. So, um, yeah, you, you have got to give them credit because they that's how they're going to play and uh, you know they they're going to be at the bottom of the table so if they finish fifth bottom again they've succeeded but mm-hmm. um i think for us i would have liked to have seen us score more goals but if you if you bear in mind last season when exactly the same happened we were 1-0 down going into the stoppage time mm-hmm. so the fact that we got a goal in the first half meant that we could relax a bit more we you know it's a shame we didn't get the second goal but you could argue that Obviously, Bakayoko's header should have, you know, should have gone in. But um, a win's a win, and and I think that's the the thing this season is if we're going to finish towards the top of the table, there's going to be matches like that and the Port Vale one where you've got to grind out results, and we've done that. Yeah, just get a win. I mean, there, there were chances, like you say, Bakayoko's header definitely should have buried that. Should have buried one at Port Vale at the weekend, by the way. Um, mm. Also, Kachunga slid in on a cross, but Bradley. How how could Connor Bradley? By the way, are we allowed to fall in love with him yet? I think we already have done. I mean, he's yeah, what a player he is, and uh, I'm glad we've got him for the season. But so to means we can enjoy him for the season. But when he gets to March, April, I'm going to be like, don't don't go, Connor. Stay for another year. Come on. Yeah, we had the the pleasure of speaking to him after the game, and he's uh, he's a decent young lad, I have to say. And I will hold my hands up. I asked one of the stupidest questions um, I can remember asking in a while. And I was talking <laughs> talking about playing in front of a crowd, and obviously in my mind, he's a young lad. He's been playing for Liverpool reserves and hasn't really been playing in front of crowds. And I'm I'm like, you know, is it is it you know more nervous? Is it is it more nerve wracking? And then I, like, like my brain C-fax just came across like hmm. he plays for Northern Ireland, you Burke, and I was thinking, oh right, yeah, you'll play for. He's played for bloody Liverpool as well. He's played. He's played in front of crowds. He doesn't need to worry too much about that. He has said himself, he, you know, he's had a bit of bit of nerve settling into a new club and being away from the, you know, the Liverpool bosom. But I don't think running out there on the football pitch seems to have affected him much. Even though I might say he said he's been rusty so far. If this, oh, is, well. if this is him rusty, what is he going to be like? Yeah, uh, he's he's. I think he's the whole package. He's obviously scored goals. He's scored a goal from 25 yards and he's scored a goal from five yards. He's, he's crossing his great. He's, uh, his pace, brilliant. He get, likes to run with the ball. It's he's, he's going to be such an outlet. And we'll discuss this later on. Um, God, this, this episode so far has been just <laughs> teases so far. But if you look at the, how Sheffield Wednesday have conceded their goals this season, it comes from crosses from the, the right-hand side of the pitch where Bradley is going to be doing it on Saturday. So we, if he carries on the way he's going, we're going to win about 6-0 on Saturday. Oh dear. Right, nice early scouting report from Henry. Um, we're, we're, we're going to take Port Vale as a completely separate segment and I'm going to call it, is it Noyce or is it Ross Joyce?
I don't know the noise is a word, but um, that's the way I'm going to go. A shout out, uh, by the way, somebody did um, email in. Um, Alan uh, said we should have called it Rejoice or Ross Joyce. I think noise is better. I thought Rejoice was a bit on the nose. But anyway, um, yeah, so... In, in the time-honoured tradition of, uh, of is it all right or Barry Knight, I think we should probably take the good and the bad from the Port Vale game. And I'm pretty sure there was more there was more things you could nitpick out of the game than there was good stuff, even though the result was a good one and the performance was a good one in the end. But, uh, um, right, first of all, first of all, what did you make of the referee's performance, Ross Joyce? Uh, it was cack. <laughs> it was cack. That's a yeah. fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> um, but I mean, what I've what, having talked about the game now with various people, um, uh, players, managers, coaches, etc. Uh, it looks like as 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 much as the referee was in your words, cack. The fourth official was caca. If that, uh, he used to play for Milan and Brazil, if you remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, Mister Haristo uh, Karaivanov. Um, who, by the way, do you know? Did you know what he does during the week? His job. Go on. He makes coffins. Does he? Actually, is that his real name that, as well? Yeah, it is Christo Karivanov. I assume he is of, of Bulgarian or Slavic descent. Uh, wow. With the name like that, but anyway, he's according to his LinkedIn, he works for a coffin maker. Um, so fair enough, and that's a very honest trade. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. It does, however, highlight that some of these guys are just doing a job and then turning up, you know, for a match fee at the weekend. And it, mm. it does. It is a frustration to Ian Ever. It is uh, uh, bewilders me how how teams in League One and Two get treated completely separately to uh, Championship and Premier League in terms of the, the standard of official and whether it should still be a part time job ridiculous even more i might say on mr karivanov one of the frustrations at port vale was that he was having a say on decisions being made on the pitch in particular the ricardo santos second yellow card it was on his advice by all accounts that the uh, second yellow came out it was a bit of a tangle of legs with ellis harrison i thought it was very 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 soft it may have been a foul definitely not a yellow card um, the Port Vale commentators and I follow thought that the player had dived and he was going to get booked. That mm. shows you just how soft it was. Um, but apparently Mr. Karivanov said to the uh, the referee via their comms, no, listen, that's a foul, blah, blah, blah. Now on Tuesday against Morecambe, the fourth official, whose name escapes me now in a second, uh, da, 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 it was Scott Jackson. Um, Mr. Jackson had no comms whatsoever and had no input whatsoever on the game. Now, that, to me, it, what a stupid disparity that is. I mean, if they're going to have a, an input in the game, I suppose that's all fair and well, assuming that they've got as much uh, you know, sensibility or more sensibility than Mr. Karavinov. But anyway, um, you know, if they're going to have an input, fine. But if they're not, how can you have one game that they do and one game that they don't? It's daft. Yeah, that isn't fair, that. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I've... I've... I have got to say that when Santos got the first yellow, which we were down at the other end, so I, I don't know uh, whether it was just, I don't know really what it was for, but um, it did worry me because of the way Santos plays and the fact that he is very um, physical. You know, we, we love the way he plays where he can push players off the ball and stuff. It just takes one decision like that and he, he would have got sent off, which he did. So it did worry me, but it was... It did look. It looked soft from where we were, and that's probably why the the reaction of the Bolton fans was like it was. But um, yeah, I think the you can't have that. You can't have two two games within three days in the same competition ref differently. It's not fair, and um, it's yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. That's something obviously that the club need to bring up with the EFL, and they need to sort because it, it it well, it's like the FA Cup, isn't it? Where some teams have VAR and some teams don't. It's you know, it's it isn't fair, and obviously Bolton have have been on the receiving end of this this yeah. week. There's no there's no good explanation. I'm I'm hoping to uh, to get to the bottom of it. I'm I'm digging away at the moment and speaking to uh, a few people in the know on these things. But um, Santos' first yellow card, by the way, was for a push on Nathan Smith, the Port Vale defender. Um, now, uh, I, I I'm I'm loath to say that he made the most of it, but he made the most of it. And afterwards, again, speaking to a couple of the local lads, it's not the first yellow card given against somebody for a push on Nathan Smith at a corner. It seems to be a ploy that Port Vale have. 
Ah, but it's working. Hey, look, you, you talk about your marginal gains. Um, that's uh, that's a marginal gain for you. Um, but yes, it seems like that is a regular thing. So um, I'm sure it's something that Bolton will look out for in the return fixture. But there we go. Um, they did hold out, though, impressively as well. And it was a hot day, Henry. I don't know what it was like in the stands, but in the press box, I was melting. Yeah, I was... Uh... <laughs> We were melting in the in the stands. Um, you know, I had t-shirt and shorts, and I was still, I, I, I this uh, walking out of that stand at the end, the smell of uh, sweaty men, <laughs> and you know, I know there were some ladies there as well. I know there were ladies who were smell. You know, I'm sure they smell well. better than the blokes. So let's face it. But yeah, that's what I mean. They, they smell a lot better. But yeah, the smell of smelly, uh, smelly men walking out of that ground was. Um, yeah, it wasn't pleasant, but um, yeah, we could in the stand. It was hot, so uh, I can only imagine what it was like on the pitch. And that, as you said, you've got to give credit to the the, the players because, I, as frustrating as it was watching Bolton Wanderers with ten minutes to go, you know, ten men behind the ball against Port Vale, you could understand it. You know, they were, you know, I think the the, the sort of. Uh, they declared for a point in the 80th minute and we got it so it's it worked out well yeah yeah uh, we uh, went for some uh, breakfast as is the time on a tradition jack uh, jack picks the cafe and uh, and i pay for it apparently um mm. but yeah he, he took us we, we on the advice of a police officer which there were many of those i'd only spotted that good grief mm. it was like uh, open auditions for the bill um, it was uh, there was uh, one of the uh, coppers said, uh, "Oh, he's a great cafe down there." So we, we followed his directions, and uh, he took us to what was effectively a greenhouse, uh, right. a, a cafe that was entirely made of glass, which is not where you want to be really before a game. So uh, it was a bit like you know when the boxer has to sit in a sauna for an hour before he makes his fighting weight. I, yeah, uh, I managed to shave off a couple of stone before I uh, got into the ground, which was nice. Um, some could say I could use a few, lose a few, but uh, that's uh, that's not the point. Um, very hot day. Anyway, right, this is a news podcast. Don't forget it. Um, let's uh, let's go to headlines. <laughs> Yeah, well, the first one, and this came out on the um, on Tuesday night. And Mark, I've got to say that when you tweeted out going, "There's a big announcement coming up," and then didn't tweet anything for about ten minutes, the the whole <laughs> fan base was like, "Oh my god, what is it? The team isn't out yet. Have we signed someone?" Is like, has Connor Bradley fallen down the stairs? Like, but no, uh, yeah, it's to do with a kit. So uh, my understanding is. Home and away kit for next season. That's how far they're planning ahead. Mm. The Wanderers fans are going to be able to choose the design. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. We we only got told just minutes before I tweeted that. To be honest, um, so apparently uh, they have three designs, and by the time this podcast is out, you'll probably be able to see them for yourselves. But three home designs, three away designs, all of which are deemed suitable. There's no you know orange and black stripes or anything stupid like that, and it's. Mm. Um, it's all good. So you're going to get a chance to vote online. I don't know what the mechanism is yet. They weren't too uh, too clear on that one, but it would be some sort of online vote. Um, there's also scope, by the way. It's not just if these designs are not exactly what you want. There, I think there is some scope, some feedback on, on little tweaks that you could make on them as well, which is quite interesting. Um, so, I mean, it's quite novel. I can't think of anybody in England that's ever done home and away kit up for vote for, for fans. And I think, as, as Neil Hart put it the other night, it's very much in keeping with the way that the club seems to be going at the moment. They are they are listening to fans and, and, and trying to get trying to trying to please them, um, which is a is a novel thing, really, especially at Bolton Wanderers the last few years. Yeah, um, you know, it's we'll wait and see what the designs are because if they're uh, if they're going back to the early days, very, very early days of Bolton Wanderers, where was it? Pink and red spots? Then maybe uh, yeah, yeah. maybe we should have left it back to Macron. But um, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting way. And I guess people can't moan, you know, if they go for, if the majority votes, um, you know, the people will be arguing amongst themselves. Of course they will. Um, we're Bolton Wanderers fans and that's what we do best. But uh, if, if the majority 
can get if there, if there is one that has the majority vote, then no one can complain. And they talked. To, I know he he said that this year's kit, this year's away kit, has been one of the best sellers they've had in mm. years. Mm. Well, if it, if it is a shirt that's technically been designed or chosen by the fans, then maybe um, you know maybe it will be a, a big seller. And I, I think my first thought is very interesting. We've discussed it before on the podcast where you know people have said like these concepts. Uh, Twitter accounts that come up with these fantastic looking kits for Bolton and then you've said well there's only the very top teams that can have a special design because yeah. it costs so much to make so it, um, it's interesting to see whether how this will work is it technically a Bolton's own design and uh, and we'll have to pay a little bit more for it or is it Macron going right okay well where's our designs and, and you crack on mm. um, Well, so it's interesting to see that but I mean, what really stuck out to me is the fact that it's, it, is this what happens every year? Is next year's kit always uh, always sign kind of designs are thrown at the club in August because it's so long before, before they actually get released? Uh, well, I, I think, I, I, and this is a, a more of an educated guess. I mean, I, 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 would, I would stand corrected if this isn't the case. Macron uh, have... Uh, and most sport sportswear have you know on the on the rack designs. So most most kits certainly at this level of football are variations on a theme of a rack. And then you get to the the ones further up that are more bespoke. And like I say, they work more with clubs to kind of create their own designs. Now it sounds to me like that's the kind of level that Bolton have got. They've got three that they've they've uh, highlighted that they've worked a bit with Macron. Um, I don't think that it's with any outside help. I think it's straight with Macron. Um, but as I say, there, there is some flexibility there to change the design slightly. Um, but yes, I, I would be interested in the cost. I think when you that, that is one of the things, is that Bolton, historically, it has been explained to me that it is not worth doing that and, and having that kind of bespoke kit because they don't sell enough shirts to warrant the, the outlay that you have to do. They, they, they buy them in very large units. You don't, it's not just like, you know, one shirt and then you go to Macron and say, I can have that one shirt. You buy them in, you know, a thousand at a time. Um, so I think they have to make very educated financial choices when it comes to kits and, and how, how many they think they will sell. I'd be interested to know with the blue kit. I mean, looking out at um, Port Vale the other day, there were more blue kits there in that away end than I can remember mm. seeing of any other kit for a long time. Um, it, it was very noticeable that, that that has been a good seller. Now, I hope that I hope that gets improved upon, like you say, but with both the home and the away kit next season, that, that it's it's more in line with the public opinion, and that they they do make the money back on it because uh, it's a it's a bold it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to see what the designs. As you said, by the time this podcast comes out, or by the time most people are uh, listening to it, the designs will probably be out. I'm sure people will be moaning about them and people will be praising them. But hey, that we're Bolton Wanderers fans, and that's what we do best. <laughs> Um, right, the, the problems with the car park at the uh, stadium continue. Um, you know, for, apparently we don't, we might not have even had planning consent. Um, if you can, for anyone who doesn't know, if you can just recap what the issues are, what the new sort of way of parking outside the ground is, and and did they have planning consent? Well, I mean, as far as the planning consent's concerned. There's an investigation going on, so I don't think it's it's. We don't think we can add too much to it, other than it has been raised by um, a, a councillor who seems to uh, keep an eye on Parking Eye, who are the company that have uh, have been given the the responsibility of running this um, number plate recognition software, and, and and you'll see it outside shopping like Aldi and on. Asda and all that sort of place. They they do a lot of supermarket stuff. So I'm sure that everybody who drives a car will will have uh, seen these things. They they scan your number plate in and they they know that if you haven't paid your money, then you're going to get a fine. And they're quite uh, litigious on that front. Um, it wasn't a popular move. I think it has caused a lot of um, consternation. It's, it's in a degree of confusion. I think among older fans, as we discussed in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, it it 
hasn't necessarily ironed out all the kinks as well. I know on, on uh, Tuesday night, I think there were quite a few problems with the park with the pay machines again. I think two of the three were out of order, and so there were a few problems. I was quite surprised with the amount of traffic that was about when I came out the ground. You know, a good hour plus after um, after the final whistle when we'd done the interviews. Um, so I, that might well have had something to do with it. I've had a few complaints from readers. Um, but as for the investigation, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. I think Bolton's planning authority have certainly opened it and, and, and are looking into whether or not the right thing, whether it happens retrospectively, these things often do. Um, but it, it does, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And, and uh, yeah, I hope, I hope it pans out because there's a game on Saturday against Sheffield Wednesday where we're expecting 20,000-plus fans and... And if the parking is or has got teething problems, then we are going to face some serious queuing and some serious complaining, I dare say. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad there's now, with the fan zone being there for half an hour, an hour afterwards, I'm glad there mm. is something for fans to do, true, you know, rather true. than queue up. But yeah, it's a good point. And it's, there are always going to be teething issues. There's teething issues with a lot of stuff we do, so hopefully it can get ironed out, especially for around Christmas time when it is cold. It's nice at the moment you can go and stand in the fan zone, but I'm sure at you know middle of November, December time, it's not something really you want to do, uh, stand out in the cold. Um, the next headline is about Ian Ever uh, watching from the stands. He said it was quite he quite enjoyed it the other night because he didn't have to really say much to his uh, his assistants and his backroom staff but he doesn't want to make a habit of it uh, no no I mean the, the thing we didn't cover there with the Port Vale overview is the fact that he got sent off at half time um, based largely on questioning the the Santos sending off um, which happened of course just before the break and uh, I know Matt Jilt's got a yellow card for what he said I think there was a few words exchanged with the fourth official in the tunnel I know they were him and uh, Everton and uh, Peter Atherton were stood outside the tunnel like Max and Paddy, uh, mm-hmm. waiting waiting for the, uh, the the officials to come in. But I think they got guided inside and it spilled over in there. Obviously, the FA have charged him and they've, they've given him a thousand pound fine as well. It's not cheap. All this that's uh, that's quite a swear jar that is. Um, so he, he was up in the stands. He doesn't doesn't particularly like it up there. I think he's very much a touchline manager. Um, but speaking the day before the uh, Morecambe game, I think he was quite upfront. He said, you know, there are there may be things that I do need to have a look at, maybe things I need to bite my tongue on um, when it comes to referees, because the last thing he wants to do is to, to, to develop too much of a reputation. And you can think of managers that have that reputation, your Warnocks or your Steve Evanses, and 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 I dare say that half their wage has gone on fines down the years. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure it does, and I've said this before, I'm not sure it does your team any good, ultimately. I, 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 don't, I fail to see if if you are if you are barking at an official on a weekly basis and you know these there's only a small pool of them, so they come round, you know, two or three times a season. Do they really wipe the slate clean? I mean, you're a human being, ultimately. Do you really wipe the slate clean every time? I don't think you do. And so, you know, human nature would dictate that you might just, you know, not not necessarily be intimidated by it, but actually go the other way and, and think, well, stuff you. Um, if, you if you're going to give me grief, then I'm not going to give you decisions or the, the marginal ones, even if it's even if it's subliminal. Um, I would never say that anybody's going to be, bi- you know, openly biased about it because I don't, I don't think it works like that, but it it, it can't help. No, I'd, I'd, uh, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's, as much as the referees say no, they don't have a problem, uh, and it, it, they will do wipe the slate clean. They, they mustn't do. I don't know what Santos has done to Ross Joyce, but uh, I don't know if he's cut him up in traffic <laughs> or something, but he yeah. certainly seems to have an agenda against him. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, the thing, I mean, the thing with Ian Everett is he's he's a passionate guy. I would yeah. rather have Ian Everett rather than, I don't know, Gary Bowyer who's just going to stand there and, you know, it just seems to be very placid. So, uh, for me, it's not an issue, um, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's 
it could go the wrong way. And if referees are thinking, you know, pre- if they get the match on Thursday or, or Wednesday or Thursday, and if their first thought is, oh, it's got to go to Bolton with Ian Everett, it, it won't do us any good. Yeah, if uh, I can imagine Mrs. Everett wouldn't be particularly uh, happy. I, if I came home and said I had a £1,000 fine, good grief. Mm. I'd, be, uh, I'd be in the spare room for a long time. A long, long time if that was me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, you're not going to change him. You're not going to change him. And also, on this occasion uh, and and on on others, referees are not. Um, they, they are human. Um, at this level, they should be professional. We go back to that point again. You know, it's it must be very, very difficult. And they are culpable for mistakes. That's the that's the problem. Is that. At professional level, at Premier League level, I've always thought that they should come out and, and explain these things. And that's why you have your, um, your talking head referees always consistently uh, reinforcing the rules and trying to explain away why they've made these decisions and all that sort of stuff. At our level, at League One and League Two level, you don't get that. And these blokes who've, who've done a job all week turn up on a Saturday, get yelled at and then disappear and go and do a job again. It must be very, very difficult. Um, so if you're not going to give them any help, they've got no VAR. They've, we, we don't know what on earth the fourth officials do or can, can't do, and it seems to change on a weekly basis. And also they're not professional and, and get the, the best possible you know, uh, support from the PGMOL. What, what are you supposed to do? You know, does football at this level actually matter to, to people at the end of the day? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. What, I mean, he never actually asked us, as, as journalists the other day, he said, well, you tell me why it hasn't happened why we've not got professional referees is it is it that there is enough money there is it that there is no desire for the for the authorities to make referees professional and i i haven't got a good answer for him no yeah i well i don't know it's you know it's yeah where do you stop it it's like well you know national league should they have uh, their yeah. a big league? so um i'm sure it is a finances thing but there's enough money in football for them to find it from somewhere surely but um, you know, I guess that's that's a question for another day. But the more that the more this goes on, and you heard Nigel Pearson the other day, Bristol City manager, moaning about referees as well. The more people are starting to moan, I'm sure the league are going to go. We, it's not a good look for us. This um, just a, a touch on this and another headline that uh, from this week about Bolton no longer being a soft touch. Do you think that uh, this with Kind of get getting a bit in the faces of referees. I know MJ Williams was doing it as as the halftime whistle blew the other day at Port Vale. Is this adding to that? Are Bolton no longer just going to sit back and and allow these things to happen? And uh, I mean, I know the soft touch sort of comment is based on the the play on the pitch and not yeah. rolling over. But is this does this add to it? Do you think? Um, maybe a little bit. Maybe there is a little bit more of an attitude there this season. Is yeah, it may be. I think there's a bit more experience there, a bit more know-how in in certain members of the team. Um, I know MJ is, is not shy of giving his opinion to referees. I know there's people like Gethin Jones that are exactly the same and will always be talking and, and asking questions and such like. Uh, Dapo is not beyond uh, the odd remark here and there. Um, so I think there is a good attitude, or, or there is an attitude rather, uh, um, among Bolton players. And I think that kind of soft touch thing that we we often throw at them has, has peed them off a bit, to be honest. I think we we all we can all point to those games that we mean the the you know Morecambe's the um, Burton's uh, I'm trying to think Fleetwood uh, mm-hmm. that that kind of game that's what we mean is that in those sort of games where conditions aren't good or where the football is is Route one and, and they're, they're forced to defend at times. They're the sort of games that Bolton, under Ian Everett, have not looked at their best. But I think there is a change there. And I think part of that could be that the, this kind of like, you know, stuff you attitude that, that they're getting now. You know, we're, we're going to show you that we can defend. And I think of the last couple of games, they've uh, they have shown it without a doubt. Certainly second half against Port Vale and, and second half against Morecambe where they were coming forward and, and, and testing uh, defensively a little bit more. I thought the defending was excellent. So the longer that continues, I'm more than happy to, to keep on throwing that soft touch thing at Bolton if it's going to produce the right reaction. 
Yeah, but it's, it was a there was the thing last year where we were saying you know around Christmas time we just seemed to you know I know we had injuries but it seemed to be going to Accrington and Fleetwood and not even not even competing. So hopefully this can be a you know it's the fine margins as we said. I think seventy three points this year will be a lot closer to the playoffs if we can keep clean sheets more and and show a bit of bite away at these grounds. And I'm sure we can push into the playoffs. Um, another of the uh, fine margins that they've been talking about is the the sports science behind Bolton's squad rotation. Um, I, I know there's a few people not quite happy with it. A few people from the old school are thinking you should play the same eleven every week. And all the players, Everett's had to say the players are going to have to get used to it, not playing every game. I mean, what do you think? Arguments could say we're fourth in the league, so it clearly works. Uh, but as the season goes on and you've got a few players used to be playing 25 games who have only played 18, do you think it could become an issue? Well, I, one of the big problems is going to be keeping everybody happy, no question about it. I think if you look at the, what we've seen already, uh, there are a couple of players who feel a little underused. I mean, Will Ameson, for example, we expect him probably to go back on the bench again for Saturday after that performance. Seems harsh, but it's the are the harsh facts of life, isn't it, really? Um, Kieran, sadly, we've talked about before, it, it, it seems very harsh to consider that he'd be an understudy to Connor Bradley. Um, he's much mm. better player than that, but where do you put him in this system? Um, and I think Everett struggled to find a place where he feels confident starting him so far, so that's something he's got to maybe find out and, 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 and as the season goes along, maybe different systems or, or you know, kind of different positions for him. Um, but... The, the basis of it, he says, is based, they're getting a lot of data on the players' physical fitness, on their recovery, how much football they can handle. And they're using that as a guide as to when they're making the changes. Um, one thing I do think it, it applies more to attacking players because you see players rotate quite often up front. And when, whilst you've got the options to do that, I think that's a good thing to do. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen at the back. Now, you, I don't expect Gethin Jones or George Johnston or Ricardo Santos to move much this season. Um, so it's interesting to see how maybe different sides of the pitch are treated slightly differently on that front. Um, but that's that's the way they're doing it. They, they are basing it on uh, the, the data they're getting from training, the data they're getting from the games. And I appreciate, as you say, there is a, an old-school mentality that you shouldn't change a winning team and that you should uh you know keep you know air quote your best players out on the park and all that kind of thing um whether that works when you play on saturday tuesday all the time i'm not sure i'm not sure but uh we shall see we shall see the proof will be in the pudding it will and speaking of uh, rotation dion charles is available this weekend um have we have we missed him because of, we're scoring goals but i've noticed a lot of the goals are coming from midfield i don't, I don't think uh, any of the strikers have scored in the league yet which is weird no um you, you don't think because they've got lots of goals against um salford so it didn't really matter too much nobody's exactly panicking but uh, i think i think you do miss dion because he's the only one that offers that absolute pain in the backside kind of chasing harassing style um which i think Everett does like and i think you know everybody's got something in that front line everybody's got something they're good at and, and that's certainly dion's um forte uh, and also i think he was in good form at the end of last year he just sort of started to look more like his old self he got that goal um ending the the the, the drought and i felt had he avoided injury Ipswich, he would he would have been the one that was really on fire at that point in time. So the injury was a bit of an unfortunate one in timing wise. Um, I bet you he's itching to go, and and I know that they held him back in midweek so that he was going to be a hundred percent for Sheffield Wednesday. I get the feeling they may well start him against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so yes, I think they've missed his attitude a little bit potentially, but. The team seems to have coped quite nicely um, and adapted, so uh, that's that's definitely a positive. But it's good to have him back. Yeah, he's. I've said before, he's my favourite player. I, to be fair, there, a lot of them are, are favourites of mine. But uh, yeah, Dion Charles, a strike. We've waited for a striker. I know Dial has scored. Uh, you know, he's he got over twelve, and Backer and Dapo did last year. But I really want Dion to to push on and. 
and score a lot of goals for us because he's yeah he never gives up and he's a he's he's a good player and especially that that sort of 10 12 game period after he signed last year he, he scored quite a few goals and he was looking sharp so hopefully we can get back to that and uh, and uh, yeah he become our our main goal scorer this year yeah definitely definitely uh, before we go to the uh, post bag one uh, of the biggest cheers on uh, on on Tuesday night was a clearance from James Trafford and it cleared the stand went out into Middlebrook. First of all, I want to know, did anybody find the ball? I'd love to know if anybody found that ball. But anyway, um, or has anybody ever found a ball from a football? These, these used to be at the old um, Shrewsbury ground when the ball went out. It used to go out into a river. There used to be a guy on a, a boat that used to go and fetch the balls that had fallen out of the, uh, fallen out of the ground. Um, I'm not saying that that Bolton should employ somebody just in case Traff decides to uh, launch one into Middlebrook again, but uh, it would be interesting. Um, uh, can you remember any clearances clearing the ground at the Reebok or the Macron? Yeah, well, the first one I, I remember was Ricardo Gardner. It was like 2000, It was a clearance of spectacular, uh, you know, velocity, really. Um, but... Other than that, I can't seem to remember. I wasn't there the other night, so I didn't see it. But I, it's it is if you it's it's impressive. Like you sit right at the top, don't you? You sit mm. a couple of rows mm. from the very back, and I've sat there with you before, and it's a it's a fair distance. So fair play to James Trafford. It takes some pelts. This is not a derogatory uh, thing to say. It is amazing. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely impressed. So we've had sightings. I, I put it out on Twitter last night, and there's a few people that have said, "Well, we saw David Weeter do it, for example. Greta Steinson said he's done it. I'm sure that I saw Andy O'Brien do it. Andy O'Brien used to have like a pitching wedge that he used to bring out for for free kicks that he used to just chip into the box. I'm sure he brought it out and cleared the stadium once. I, it may be a a false memory, but I'm I'm pretty sure he did it. Um, but I'm interested to know if anybody else can uh, remember any of the others. It's it's just one of those things, and it got the it got a great cheer, which is is what I, I love about it. Like this kind of like ironic cheer. Um, I also heard in the process of this that somebody the dream they headed the ball back from the stand against Salford, which I have always wanted to do, and I've never seen, as far as I'm aware, around the press box. Um, it's uh, that's that really is the dream to stand up in the press box and then head the ball back. Uh, you know what a really quick one when we was at south end um a couple of uh, a couple of seasons ago in league 2 whilst there was no fans i remember sitting with paul holiday and uh, the ball came out of play and paul was so quick pushing it like grabbed the ball and then threw it they took a quick throw and actually scored so paul holiday has an indirect assist uh, <laughs> for for the goal at south end the Shaw miller goal um, so that that will always be on his CV. You're never going to lose that. But I'd love to know if anybody has ever ever managed that. Have they? Have, a have you headed the ball back into play? B have you ever been able to uh, throw the ball back that quickly that ball could take a quick throw? Well, yeah, it's uh, I, was it Jose Mourinho a few years ago? I think it was at Spurs. One of the ball boys threw the ball back really fast and they scored from it. And I think he got to meet the players and uh, <laughs> and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, you never know. If this can happen this year, then you may get you might get to meet the players. So uh, if we're one nil down, because what annoys me is, and I mean I'm not saying it's Bolton's fan base. I can't remember. Who, I think it was someone with a Leeds fan base last year who did it. Was when you know when you're one nil down and, and you're chasing the game and the ball goes into the crowd and you get some plonker who, who thinks, oh I've got the ball, I'm just going to hold on to it, or I'm going to chuck it somewhere else. It's like. Gotta get an equaliser. Yeah, so game management in the fans in the crowd needs to, uh, you know, needs to. But I do. I've got to say, when you're winning and people are messing around and chucking it, but I actually secretly enjoy that. I think it's funny. (laughs) Right, I promise you a post bag, and I'm gonna bally well bring you on. Is that Philip Marish? It's that time of the week where we open the floor to the listeners. And uh, the first email is from Andy. 
And he says, hi, Mark. Hi, Henry. A couple of podcasts ago, you brought up the subject of internet access or lack of it at the ground. I'm an O2 contract holder, and it's fair to say that 4G in the ground is totally non-existent. And to be fair, most other grounds to be exactly the same once a crowd builds up. Whilst this isn't the end of the world, it's frustrating when we want to keep up with the scores elsewhere and general comment on the match, especially at half-time. I was wondering if Sharon and her fantastic team will consider installing Wi-Fi in the ground. As a season ticket holder, I would even be happy to pay a nominal fee on top of the season ticket price for this privilege as an optional add-on. Just a thought. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Now, um, would you be willing to pay a premium for Wi-Fi at the stadium? Uh, No, to be honest. uh... (laughs) I'm already. It already annoys me that I've got to pay a one pound per ticket admin fee when I buy them on uh, the website. But that's uh, that's a conversation for a different day. I'm mm. sure that'll. I'm already at a tenner extra for. I don't know somebody clicking to accept it, and it say you've got to download the ticket yourself, and I'm paying <laughs> a pound per ticket. How about the thirty p convenience fee that they've added onto the car parking? It's been reported to me a couple of times. That really does take the biscuit. Well, if it signs as a, this is the thing, if it signs, it gets us better Wi Fi, I guess, or if it signs as a player in in January. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, Wi Fi. I'm on Vodafone. And I've got to say, actually, the Wickham game, I noticed it. Um, the Wi Fi was actually a bit better for me. So I, I don't know whether the uh, you know, the on Winter Hill, the Masters got better for Vodafone, and I'm not sure, but um, we'll see this weekend when we've got over 20,000 people at our time looking to see what the scores are. Well, I shall say that the Wi Fi has had a bit of an upgrade at the stadium um, a couple of weeks ago, weeks, yeah, week before last. Um, they put in a new router. And this is for the press Wi-Fi, whether there's any plans to go around the stadium. I have my doubts whether that will happen, but certainly they have had a go. Um, And it exploded spectacularly on Tuesday night. Um, Was not worth anything. Thankfully, my mobile phone came to uh, my rescue. I was able to tether up on that. Um, Up in the the gods where I am, the the signal isn't too bad. Um, I know it gets worse, the kind of the, the... the more phones that are around you so obviously down in the midst of the fans it's it's very difficult to get a, uh, any reception um mm. which you know causes problems in this cashless idea for the stadium i suppose so maybe if that's going to work they're going to have to improve the infrastructure the wi-fi infrastructure um the the other problem as the it guy did uh did say the other day was that it's a 25 year old stadium that was built at a time where they didn't have wi-fi and didn't have any idea of what mobile phone signal would be needed in the future. Um, mm. And the, the the metal that obviously looks so great above our heads, unfortunately also acts as a, a serious deterrent, apparently, and that the stadium design is a problematic for signals. I know we've talked about Huddersfield looking exactly the same. Huddersfield has the worst Wi-Fi and signal of anywhere in the whole football league. Uh, whenever I've worked there, so whether or not it is a the same problem potentially for for Bolton, I don't know. Um, but anyway, Andy, I appreciate your email. Um, I wouldn't hold your breath, mate, but I would uh, I would hope there is a there is a solution out there somewhere. Um, any any techies out there, please let me know. I'd love to know why uh, maybe the the Reebok as was um, is so poor for Wi-Fi. Anyway, email two. Final email. Um, Hi, Mark and Henry. Um, I have it on a most reliable source that the story of the wartime wanderers will be told in a 12-part series in the not-too-distant future to be filmed in 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, Garrod from down in Yeovil has (laughs) said that uh, he's asked whether I can investigate it further. And uh, to let uh, listeners know to keep an eye out for any progress. If anybody does know more about this, please do tell me because I've put my feelers out this week and drawn absolutely budkiss. Um, I mean, this Wartime Wanderers project has been going since Adam was a lad. Um, mm. I, you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> I think it was... Uh, from, from before the war. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. It was a futuristic dystopian fantasy when it was first scripted, I think. Um, but yes, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm keen to see it. I mean, I've read the book, obviously, um, and we all know the story of, uh, of, of the way that, uh, that the Wanderers went en masse uh, to war and, uh, and, and Harry Gosling never came back, of course, very sadly. But um, it w- I think it will make a terrific... Uh, I, I thought it would make a terrific film. A 12-part series, that's interesting. That, that, seems, that seems well spread out. Um, a Netflix, uh, Netflix-esque rather thing. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, see Wanderers on the big screen? Uh, it would, yeah. It's um, a lot of new projects um, happening up here. I think there's a BBC show called, I think it's Red Rose, starting yes, very yes, soon. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of talented actors up here. So, uh, yeah, hopefully they can, can get a bit of work on the big screen and um, and... Yeah, it would be brilliant to promote the club. It's it's a fantastic story. It's one that all Bolton fans should be very proud of. And uh, uh, and yeah, it's, it'd be nice to, to for the masses to know the story as well. Yeah, I think Bradley Walsh was connected with the last time I uh, and uh, the guy that played Joe in EastEnders. I forgot was Paul Nicholson. He was from Bolton. I'm sure he was involved in it as well. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. Maybe we should uh, make maybe we should uh, make a fantasy cast up and see who we'd like to, like in there to to play different parts. Um, right, a very brief check in for the Buff Fantasy Football League. Yes, week two, and I uh, can confirm that Fantasy Football League still sucks. Um, hmm. I am 136th, and uh, Camlo's uh, Angel Delict leads the way on 163 points. Uh, Liam McNeil's Kinder Mbuemo is nice. um, second. Uh, Richard Atherton's Atletico Atherton is third. Not a lot of thought went to that name, Richard, but mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's a bit on the nose for me. Um, Dynamo Cowdrill from Brussels Slater is fourth. I like that one. Yeah, uh, that's but, good. But rocketing up the charts after a, a sensational 78 points this week, uh, Cucurella de Ville managed by... Yeah. 128th. Now explain yourself. I told you last week, you were saying, oh, you're rubbish. And I said, no, I'm just I'm playing the long game. And uh, yeah, I did well. I had uh, Jesus as my captain, so that helped. Um and uh, I can't remember who else got me points, but uh, uh, Kane, Kane got yeah. me some points. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, hey, it's the it's like Bolton in League Two, starting slow, but I'll end fast. Yeah, well, I uh, I gave my captaincy to Son, who did very little except for watch uh, his manager fighting on the touchline. Um, very very poor week for me. Um, also, shout out uh, to whoever whoever called their team. Um, Hakuna Nakata, because that so, that song has been stuck in my head all morning. As a result, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping next week will be where I, I finally where the where the plan finally starts to develop, and where where I start. If I finish, honestly, if I do not finish in the top twenty of this league, I will be mortified. Mortified. Wow. Okay, that's that's big, big of you to say that. I'm. I'm just going along for the ride, where as long as I don't finish last. But you winning top twenty, okay? Top we'll twenty. I'm, I'm very much like Ian Everts. Uh, if you if you're not in it to win it, what is the point in playing? That's the way I say it. It's but, a good point. I, I do enjoy fantasy football at this uh, this time of the season because everyone's so close together. Like I I looked at the weekend and thought, oh well, he can come off the bench maybe, and uh, he's got four points on the bench. And then you look at the table and you think, oh, well, four points takes me up hundred places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will. The, the wheat will start uh, separating from the chaff very soon. Um, I just hope I'm not chaff. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, last week we tried to play uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Nolan. It was not successful. I'll be honest with you. Um, it mm. was. It was very very difficult trying to find um, a, a way of linking one football. And I think we used Pele as an example in Six Moves to Kevin Nolan. Um, but I did mention that. It, it would be interesting to see how many moves it would take to go from Kevin Nolan all the way back to Kenny Davenport, who, of course, scored Bolton's first ever Football League goal. Would you believe somebody has managed it? Ah, brilliant. Right, not in six moves, though. 
Not in six oh. moves. Sadly, not six moves. Um, I would be very interested to know if anybody out there fancies doing it better. But Robinis has emailed me, and I'm going to I'm going to use his example this week. And I've got another variation on the theme for next week. So I'll just read his example. It's a bit of a trek, so strap yourselves in. Um, so Kevin Nolan made his debut in 2000-2001 season at Bolton. And of course, he played alongside Anthony Barnes. Anthony Barnes, who played at Chelsea with Jerry Payton, a goalkeeper, Republic of Ireland International. Um, right. now, now, Jerry Payton played at Burnley with Keith Newton, who was an England international um, and also the first England player ever to be subbed at a World Cup. Okay, so Keith Newton played alongside Jack Charlton. We know Jack Charlton, of course. Uh, Charlton played alongside Jimmy McCabe at Leeds United. Um, now, Jimmy McCabe played alongside George Cancel at Middlesbrough. He's a legend at Middlesbrough, also played for England. Um, George Cancel played for England alongside an experienced goalkeeper called Ted Houghton. Now, we all know Ted Houghton, obviously, goes without saying. Um, Ted Houghton played alongside Bob Benson at Sheffield United. Benson played at Newcastle with Burke Gosnell, who played for England with Dickie Bond, who played for Preston with Robert Roberts, who was a Bolton Wanderers player, who played in every single game of the 1888-89 season for Bolton Wanderers alongside Kenny Davenport. Well, that's, right. that's a great effort, so well done for that. Because ah. I, I can only imagine um, the the sort of Wikipedia or 11 versus 11 websites that you've had to go on to. So, uh, well done. That's uh, you, You've managed to do that. So, yeah, great stuff. I, I, to be honest, I can see myself killing a couple of hours trying that one. Uh, but that is a marvellous 13-pass move. If we're going to bring it back to Bolton Wanderers, that's 13 passes for that goal. Um, let's see. Let's see if we can pare it down. Let's see if we can get down towards Morecambe and go like one pass, or uh, <laughs> as, as fewer passes as possible. We're going to go route one, uh, position of maximum gain, or whatever it was called in the eighties. Let's uh, let's go route one. Um, right before we say adieu, let's just address the fact there are two massive, massive games on the horizon. Tune that dial to the Buzz FM. Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday, 5,000 away fans, if we can get anything close to what, and we've not even mentioned the, the attendance, by the way, on uh, on Tuesday night, 17,000, absolutely brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. If we get anything close to that, we're talking 20 plus, we, we're talking about one of the biggest uh, third tier crowds ever at Bolton, potentially on Saturday. And then, of course, after that, Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup. Let's take it one at a time. Let's go with Sheffield Wednesday. Um, let's talk about that attendance for starters. What, what do you think we should expect? Uh, I think we're going to batter them. Uh, no, I I think there's something at Sheffield Wednesday that's not quite right at the moment. Because mm. uh, bearing in mind they've got seven points, only a point below us, but you just feel that I don't know whether it's the fans aren't clicking with the manager, whether it's from above him. Uh, obviously, the, the incident where the lad came off against yeah. Peterborough and... and through a paddy so there's just something not quite right whereas there is at Bolton at the moment so if we can utilise that I think if we get an early goal you could see as we saw for Sunderland last year you know it's great having 5,000 in that away end but if, you, if, if you're not playing well they can turn pretty quickly mm. and 5,000 suddenly sound like 25 so uh, yeah if we can get a goal early on just throw as many crosses in the box from the right hand side as possible uh, and hopefully, um, you know, Bodvarsson or Bakayoko can get on the end of them and score. Um, I think we can do it. I think uh, I'm very confident. I'd, You know, you, you look at teams like this and Plymouth in the next one, and then we play Charlton as well. These are the tough games against teams that are going to be in and around where we want to finish next year uh, at the end of the season. So, um so, yeah, it's a big test for us. So, if we can come out with three points, we'll be, we'd have got 10 points already. We'll be on 11. So, that would be great. And uh, we'd be four above Sheffield Wednesday. So, um, I'm quite confident. Are you? What, what do you think? I mean, I'm confident in the way that Bolton are playing. Absolutely. I, I think Sheffield Wednesday, I agree with you. There does seem to be something there that's just not quite right. I think Darren Moore is he's been a very solid manager. I quite like him as a person as well, but I think it's uh, it's a very, very big ship to turn around there. And, and clearly with uh, the Chancery people still in, in charge, uh, it's, it, 
it's never going to be entirely right until they've got new ownership, I think, probably. I think too much water has passed under the bridge there, really. And it is a moany club. I've got to be honest. I've, I've seen it close close at hand. I've lived in Sheffield. I know what Wednesday uh, supporters demand of them. And, uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy gig, that one at all. And, and if Bolton can score first, if they can turn that crowd, I think that's going to be the, the one. We've seen the, the highlights of the goals they've conceded. I do agree with you that uh, young uh, young Connor Bradley looks tailor made to be supplying some of those crosses. Just I just wonder who's going to score because uh, as we said before, nobody in the front lines managed to, to bag one yet, and, and Amadou Bakayoko's missed a couple of absolute sitters. So um, mm. yeah, that needs to change. But I, I'm quite confident. I'm quite confident. I'll, yeah, I've got a, a strange feeling in my water that this might be a really uh, defining result for Bolton Wanderers. Um, yeah. But then, of course, a few days later on the Tuesday night, before we hit the uh, the podcast airwaves again, it's Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup. Um, and a night, I mean, it's not quite the FA Cup and it's not quite, you know, white hot or, you know, a real giant killing. But it, I just have a feeling in my bones again that it's going to be a really good night for Bolton Wanderers. Yeah, I don't think... You know, I, I don't know which, which team Villa are going to play. Where you know, I don't know whether we'll see the likes of Coutinho or whether it'll be a mix of first teamers and and mm. you know subs. But they, Steven Gerrard's not stupid. He looks at the, he looks at Bolton Wanderers and he looks at the table and thinks, I'm not going to put my youth team out here because we're going to get turned over. So I think it will be quite a decent side. And I think, yeah, I think we we're in a good place, and I think it's going to be a really good. Uh, test for us and to see where we are and um, yeah, I, I've been saying for years I think I'd love us to get a cup run I think we deserve it the owners deserve it they deserve us to get a cup run they deserve us to go and play at Old Trafford or you know the Emirates um, or get to the latter stages and get some real TV money in because of the way they're running the club so um, hopefully we can give a good show of ourselves um, he's putting a lot of players in the shot window. You think about Dapo Afalayan, you know, he's uh, and people have been saying that he's in the next few transfer windows going to be sought after. Well, you've you've got a great place to show how good you are. Um, you know, he's not going to be getting battered like he is most weeks with uh, Cartas defenders hacking him down. He's he's a, a good opportunity for him. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I hope we give a good account of ourselves. And if we win, brilliant. But if we if we don't, you know, I hope it's close and we can walk away thinking, right, that was a good effort. Let's crack on with the season. It just reminded me, actually, of, of the Morecambe game. Dapo um, got the ball on the left-hand side when he came on. Left-hand side of the box. And he put he put a drag, he dragged the ball back so unexpectedly that the defender, in slow motion, just sort of slid past him, brought him down. And by the time he'd finished sliding, had already apologised to him. It was <laughs> it was absolutely crazy how quick he did it. And the, and the defender was he was barely in the same game as him. It was absolutely ridiculous. He won a couple of free kicks early doors, uh, Dapo. I agree with you. I think it's one of those nights where he could really seize the opportunity to get get in the window. And I and, and I don't mean to go and earn a move elsewhere. Just to show, I think he likes to show that he's a good player. And uh, yeah. he, he likes those opportunities where he th- feels like he's on centre stage. And, and I, I think uh, Bolton have done well on the television. Of course, it's on Sky Sports. I, I do implore people at £10 a ticket, get yourselves mm. down. Make sure there's a, a good cup atmosphere down there because you're going to see a, a really good game, I think. And, and I think Bolton, against opposition that play football, that Aston Villa clearly do, um, you know, they do rise to the occasion. They do play some good stuff. And I think it regardless of the results, I believe it will be a great game. Um, and it's nice. It's just nice to have some of the big hitters back at, at, at the stadium. You know, I, I was thinking the other day with this, when the Wi-Fi went down the other day, I'm thinking, oh God, I hope this doesn't happen against Aston Villa. Cause you know, there's going to be lads from the athletic there. And there's going to be the you know, national lads there that are going to be sat there complaining. And, and, you know, just, I hope everything goes well. I really do. It's yeah. going to be, it's going to be a good day. Yeah, after what's happened in re- previous years, it's uh, it's it's going to be a good opportunity for us to show who we are and that we are we're on our way back and we're a big you know big side for for League One and uh, I mean that's why Sky have chose it hasn't haven't they? Of course, they, yeah. they, they they could have chose Stockport v Leicester but they've chose 
Bolton Aston Villa because it's uh, who you know who we are and who obviously who Villa are. But yeah, I'm really excited. And who wants to go to Stockport? Let's face it. Yeah, um, true. yeah. okay. Well, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much all we've got time for this week. It's flown by. Uh, tune in again next Friday uh, for what I mean, it could be a giant killing episode or it could just be a normal show. Um, hmm. Before I do go, and I've just remembered today, Friday, Jack Dearden's 70th birthday. Um, a very happy birthday from uh, from myself and uh, and and for everybody at the buff. Well, everybody at the buff, i.e. Henry. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd, you'd wish Jack a happy birthday, wouldn't you, Henry? <laughs> of course, I would. Yeah, happy birthday, Jack. Um, yes, uh, show him some love, Bolton types, um, because uh, because he deserves it. Um, even though I do uh, I do take the mick quite a bit, but uh, never mind. Until until we meet again, I've been Mark Isles, and I've been Henry Hewitt. And this has been The Buff.